I'm Charlie Melcher, founder of The Future of Storytelling, and I'm delighted to have you with me today for the FOST podcast. Genova Chen is known as a true video game auteur and developer of some of the most beloved and poignant gaming experiences of all time. Born in China, Genova attended USC's School of Cinematic Arts and founded That Game Company with a classmate in 2006. In 2012, they released Journey, an experience that is fundamental to my understanding of the emotional power of video games. In Journey, the story unfolds through liberating gameplay across magnificent landscapes. But what makes it unforgettable is the chance to encounter other players and interact with them in limited but unique ways. Journey has won too many awards to name, over a hundred in its debut year alone, and has garnered glowing reviews across the board. The New York Times called it an almost transcendental experience, and IGN described it as one of gaming's most beautiful, touching achievements. Genova's most recent project, Sky, Children of the Light, is a mobile multiplayer game that brings Journey's gorgeous visuals and positive interactions to a much larger community. Carefully designed to bring out the best of humanity, Sky was named Apple's iPhone Game of the Year in 2019 and has been downloaded more than 160 million times. It serves as another great example of how Genova's games allow us to discover a more altruistic and empathetic world. It's an honor to have a gaming legend share his insights on the FOSS podcast. Please join me in welcoming Genova Chen. Genova, welcome to the FOSS podcast. It's really an honor to have you with us today. Thank you for inviting me. It's an honor to be part of this. So I've been a fan for many years of your games, and I really think of you as not just a game designer, but as a storyteller that makes social stories, stories that we can lose ourselves in. Do you agree with that, or do you think of yourself as a storyteller? Uh, I used to think so, but lately I've been uh, evolving my understanding about storytelling that I, I, I want to talk to you about. Um, but yes, I'm definitely a storyteller. Um, and I think storytelling is how we human beings consume, you know, information and remember information. And today, like our moral values, you know, our history was all told through stories, right? We don't, we don't just give you the Bible without any story and just say, this is what you do, right? This is what you don't do, right? And, and story is what our brain is really good at. Uh, I read, you know, Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces, you know, and The Power of Myth. And really, I think like the, star, the, the most successful story that has been, you know, passed along for thousands of years has been, you know, following certain structures. You know, they are usually about the transformation of, of a character. And that transformation always is difficult, but the heroes of the story um, persevere and the heroes of the story always seems to help a bigger community afterwards. 
I'm also a huge fan of Joseph Campbell and uh, his summary of those classic myths of, of the hero's journey. And one of the things that's so interesting that you referenced that is that, of course, in your games, there is an epic journey. And I mean, one's literally called journey <laughs> of your games. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so in a way, I would say you're not a storyteller, right? Because telling is, is, is unidirectional. You know, you're sort of pushing the story one way, but you're, you're an enabler maybe of, of other people's having an experience, right? To be able to... Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely strange with your role in interactive media where the, the medium isn't completely passive. Um, and sometimes I do use the, the role as the choreographer, right? For the players, right? Like I do plan the whole play, you know, <laughs> Swan Lake, and there's a dramatic arc of the character who's going to go through various things. And the choreographer would figure out what the dancer needs to do, right, to, to kind of embody those emotions. And, and I, I do feel like a dancer out of the whole audience probably feel those dramatic arc more because they are embodying it through their own actions. I just find it so powerful that it seems the kind of emotions that you're going for, the kinds of experiences, every, everything that you design sort of is moving towards a different kind of a set of emotions than I, I'm used to in, in video games. I grew up playing video games as a kid. It, everything was fast twitch. It was shooter or it was some sort of discovery and adventure, but it was a set of um, almost kind of aggressive emotions, <laughs> you know, at times outright violent. And tell me about the kind of emotions that you're trying to foster in your players. Yeah, I think... If you follow the history of how each of the medium evolved and grow since its uh, you know, initial origin, uh, when cinema first came out, it took cinemas 40 years for people to ditch the fixed camera. They realized they can cut the films, they can change the camera, they can use uh, a, a fake model, right? Like a miniature model to shoot for something. They don't have to shoot the real thing to tell the story, right? And before that, before that 40 years of exploration, people are just trying to capture what was there. There was a boxing match of some championship. They just shoot the whole thing, right? And it's kind of, people didn't know they can edit. That's really, to me, time is one of the most important things that the cinema really enabled the director and editor to manipulate. You know, but... People didn't figure that out. It took them 40 years to just try to do like the old school stuff, the, the theater stuff. Games is about 40 to 50 years old now, right? And we're at the cusp of like, maybe people finally realize we don't have to repeat Hollywood. So for a very long time, the game industry was trying to behave like Hollywood. They would try to hire stars, do motion captures and you know, they cut movies, they write scripts, they do everything the cinema do. But ultimately, that was just like film shooting on theaters, stages. People who really start to take the medium forward, you know, they need to think about what, what does this medium offer that was impossible in previous medium. And then, then you can bring new type of experiences. I couldn't agree more. 
to what you're saying. I mean, I'm, I've been the biggest proponent of this, and I say the exact same thing often that about how cinema took so many years to create its own organic language, its native mm -hmm. you know, methods and tools and understanding of its real potential. What is your understanding of what is really organic to gaming and what can be done with it that can't be done in other media? You have input and you have output, which, you know, essentially traditional media like books and movies, they, they can't, right? Like no matter what the audience do, what's going to happen next is always the same. But the fact that you can control input and output is it's a very, very huge range of things you can elicit. So, uh, you know, just a simple thing like a jump, right? Like in Mario, you can press the button to jump. Just with a jump, you know, a one button input and the output, you can make people feel very different things. You can make people feel anxiety. You can make people feel synesthesia. Lots of elements all work together to create a strong uh, climax or, you know, climatic emotional harmony. And so to me, interactions is a new instrument in the orchestra. A lot of the times, especially, in, you know, like from early 2000 to, you know, uh, 2020, a lot of the games will have very dramatic narratives, like military stories, lots of, you know, kind of betray and actions. Uh, but those things only happens in the cinema, cinematic mediums, like visuals, animations, editing, sound, performance. But the gameplay of Call of Duty for a very long time has always about just shooting people on, in the head, right? Hopefully in the head and not getting shot. You know, a lot of the games captures the, the, the human dynamics of people in cars, in traffic, you know, and we usually behave pretty bad in those situations because there's no social consequence because they don't know who I am. I can just slam my, my honk, right? And, and games is very much like that, you know, you are anonymous and you can do whatever input with no social consequence, right? So then it brings a lot of the, the worst part of us into those hot situations. And certainly that's a common critique of gaming is that it, it's, it creates antisocial behavior that it, and it's alienating and brings out the worst in people. And, and it's one of the reasons why I'm so enamored or, or respectful of the work you do in your games is because you're really trying to train social behaviors that are just the opposite, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you're creating yeah, games yeah. that bring people uh, together. When I got into the game industry, I felt like this is really a young industry and, you know, it really could become the next greatest medium of all time, just like how cinema have overtaken, you know, a traditional medium. But the societies are not kind to this new medium. <laughs> I think the society was not kind to cinema when it first came out. Uh, the society was always not kind to any new medium. So I was thinking about like, how can I change the society's view on games? That's really what my passion is, is to earn some respect for the gaming medium that it deserves. Um, and just like a medium, right? Like you have, it's kind of funny because we call it films and televisions, but they're all motion pictures but people call them different things. And games, unfortunately, have a bad association with gambling, you know, or, or things people do in the playground when they're kids, 
right? So by default, we already get this discrimination to start with by having this name. Really, we are called interactive media. There's many interactive installations in the galleries, but people don't call that thing games. And so, so by default, we are already, uh, you know, losing on the start the, the starting line uh, of trying to create a respectful medium. On the second hand, you know, like if it's a medium, the medium can be used for many things. And I think, just like there are people who use games and interactive media to run a casino, I mean, they have the intention of making money, you know. And then there are people who's trying to use interactive media to teach, which we call serious games sometimes. Then there are people who's using interactive medium just to entertain, you know, Saturday morning cartoon just to keep kids busy. And none of those industries will garner enough respect because their audience are really limited to to a very niche of the market. So, I think only when you use the medium to say something that all of us, people of all ages and genders, can. Find it valuable and respectful and inspiring, right? Then, then they say, you know, this is respectful content. Well, I played recently Sky, and I spent some time in that world and enjoying it. And the whole metaphor of gifting, of generosity, was so unusual for me in in a video game. You know, in a really beautiful way. I mean, I, everything about that game, by the way, is beautiful. You have such a Evolved aesthetic. They're inspiring. I think I often feel like a sense of artistry, like like great painting when I'm in the worlds that you create. But just going back to the emotion or the or the act of being trained to、uh, have generosity and to gift. Tell me about why that's a game device that you used in that game. Yeah, I have a view on、um, like in almost all artistic medium. There's always like realism versus romanticism, and also there's the reverse of romanticism, which is like the dark fantasy. Often people say like, you know, artist uses lies to tell truth. There's there are artistic pieces that was super dark, but it actually capture the truth of humanity. That is also very very、uh, respectful, and then there are. Uh, movies, literatures, who's super realistic. You know, they capture the world as it is. It's the real world is noisy and gray. And I feel in the world of video games,、uh, there's a lot of gritty stuff going on. <laughs> thanks to the realistic rendering engines, like a lot of people goes with dark, gritty realism. And so for me, I felt like there was a lack of romanticism. Interactive romanticism isn't just like making a painting looking beautiful and, and ab- abstract. It should also make the person interaction, either individual interactions or interactions between two players who is participating in this piece. Romanticism, it's beautiful,、um, and so that's kind of how I approach most of our interactive design. Is like we want it to feel real, and we want to capture the beauty from the reality. Through these interactions, and that naturally kind of evolved into, we were trying to do that to capture the interpersonal relationship in the reality, right? Because in reality, human relationship is very, very complex, nuanced. I mean, even with my wife, you know, it's not perfect harmony every day, right? So, 
So when you want to capture beauty of human relationships, you kind of have to do some abstractions. And so what happened with relationships in online games, a lot of time it start with a text chat, or a voice chat, right? And usually what happens is people say, I hate voice chat. I don't want to hear these, these kids, you know, like talking down towards me. Uh, or if I show my voice as women, I will be like harassed. Those are the first impressions of online gaming. What I realized over the years of like designing games is that a lot of people have this false impression that gamers are bad, right? <laughs> gamers are rude, right? But really, these are human beings. Human beings have the capacity to be rude if they were put in the situation of a particular institution. The environment will force people to be rude. That's when I start to realize it's not the fault of the player being mean. It's the fault of the designers who created these social situations. They didn't think through all the situations. So really, in the end, it's about like, how do you structure these virtual societies where interpersonal relationship can actually be nudged towards like those positive qualities that we human beings are already capable of? I love that point that the issue is really, or the responsibility on the game designer and developer to create the world, the interactions, the process by which people are going to either act their best selves or their worst selves. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you've, you've used so many tools from your quiver of options to create worlds that encourage this very positive social engagement. And I wonder if you would talk about a few of them. I know, for example, the design of the physical world itself, for example, mm -hmm. is important. The music um, the kinds of gestures and interactions that players can have with each other, you know, limited, but but limited to ones that are inducive for positive exchange. So please tell me a little bit about the, the levers that you pulled in, say, Sky to help. Right, right. Yeah, so so it's it's fascinating. I really enjoy this job because every day I'm trying to understand humanity because we want them to behave the nice part of humanity, but when we try to push them, it always gave me the opposite. <laughs> so, so it's like dealing with a kid, you know, it's like, hey kid, why don't you just go give a hug with this other kid? If they're obedient, they will do it. But if they're creative, they're like, why, why should I just hug it like you want? I, I'm gonna hug it from the back. I'm gonna hug it from the below, you know? What I learned is people don't like to take orders. They almost rebel against it. When we design, we have this rule we, we talk about in the studio. I say the best design is an invisible nudge. So, so yeah, the best way is to just apply a tiny little pressure that they, they don't even notice, right? And then they lean forward and they fall into it. And so in our game, we were hoping our player will behave with compassion and generosity, right? That's like what we want them to behave. But how do you force someone to be compassionate and generous towards others? So a lot of what we do is to remove the obstacles rather than trying to enforce some behaviors. So what are, you know, like what is the obstacle of generosities? Have you, have you um, thought about that? <laughs> feeling, feeling scarcity, maybe. You don't have enough yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so in the, when we design journey, we run into this incident where people 
in the early test are actively telling me, why are you making this multiplayer game? I hate other players. I would rather play single player mode. Can you offer me a single player choice? I was like, why, why would you be worried about the other player? They're here to help you. They are, this is a co-op game. And they will say, well, I saw there's a resource over there. I supposed to get it, but this person took it from me. Right. Oh, I supposed to save this NPC, but that person did it. So he stole my gameplay content. And I realized basically, if you have scared properties, you know, ownership scarcity, then yeah. there's always going to be a conflict. Right. Right. That's not what the game is about. Right. The game is about the witness and the companionship of life. So we had to kind of change the system and the institution in our game. We made all the resources shareable and abundant, right? And then people were like, oh, there's a bunch of resource over there. Oh, you're here for the resource too. Like we have the same, you know, uh, appreciation for this resource that it connects us, right? But when the resource was limited, it was, it was like really bad. And the other thing we learned hard, you know, in a hard way is like, our player likes to be mischievous. They like to be creative to just kind of hit you in a hard way and, you know, stab you somehow, be a griefer, right? Like this happens even among our developers when we were doing testing. It's like, wait, you know, we're trying to design a cooperative, supportive experience. Like, why are you doing this to me? So for quite a long time, I was pretty sad about the, the human nature, like the fact that, that, that my own team member <laughs> who understand the goal are still sabotaging me in the game. And one day I ran into a, a psychologist. Uh, I, was I was ranting about the, the darkness of humanity to her. And she said, oh, you're describing the behavior of baby. I said, what do you mean? Like, so baby was born with no moral values attached. It's a new world to them. They are just testing everything to get feedback so they can calibrate how they're supposed to behave in this world. So to the baby, it's like, oh, if I knock this magical spoon, I can summon a giant you know, protective mammal to come to talk to me. I'm going to do it more because it looks interesting, right? Uh, they don't have the, the comprehension of what's positive and negative in, in the, because they were still learning. And if you move somebody from reality to the world of Warcraft, they don't necessarily carry all the, the social lessons they learned from reality. Because to them, it's like, I'm a orc, so everything's new. I'm going to try. What's, what's the boundary of social boundary, right? And so we're missing that whole thing about what's the proper social behavior for games because people just jump in and start playing and they're going to do like all kinds of things to see what's the boundary. The lesson we learned is if you don't want people to do something and they are babies, minimize the feedback. So in Journey, we eventually removed the physics where you can potentially squeeze another player off the cliff, right? But these are like simple things that is not very intuitive when we just think about designing. You know, when we design, we just think, oh yeah, we give them an, an, a power to help each other. This person can heal this other person. That would be great. But what we often don't think about, what, is, what happens if this person chooses to not to heal this person? Could that be an abuse? The reason Sky is a very, you know, kind of wholesome place today is because we run into so many of these and we're, we're working diligently to curb the environment so that this type of behavior doesn't become the default behavior. Would you agree that because of that, it's a more supportive and safer space in your game worlds 
and that might help explain why uh, you have a, a very large percentage of women who play your games. Isn't that right? Much much greater yeah, than we, the industry as a whole. We have seventy percent women, and even in the rest of the thirty percent, some people would rather not disclose their gender. So we don't know exactly how many uh, women is in the community. Uh, but what we hear a lot is, regardless if it's in Asia or in the U United States or in Europe, people say like, yeah, I usually don't like to to communicate in online games because the moment they know I'm a woman, you know, it, it's just a bad experience. But in the world of Sky, they, they feel they can be themselves. A lot of the effort we did was also by listening to the players. Pretty much in Sky, the, the social situation, we're trying to capture how real world social life works. You don't just walk up to a random person in the real world and start talking. It's not how real world works. And these days, online games, you just go into the game and you start to chat in the public channel, talking about anything, basically. And that's not how we develop uh, trust and, and, and understand the social consequence. So what we do is, even before someone can talk to you, you have to agree that you want to hear what this person has to say, you know, and, and so then people feel safe. You know, they, they, they're not going to be harassed by a random stranger. Well, I think this is just a great example of one of the tools as a game designer that you had at your disposal or that you, you in fact, kind of invented here to create a kind of behavior and a kind of learning pro-social messages to encourage better behavior and, and let's just say the, the, the positive side of human nature. <laughs> yeah, so, so at the very beginning, you were asking me, uh, you know, am I a storyteller? I think I am. Um, but I feel like ever since we start to operate the game, when we have a vivid society of players, uh, I spend more time thinking about creating laws you know, like regulations. Uh, and that's a lot of time isn't about telling the story, right? It, but it's, it's about shaping the behavior of interpersonal dynamics. In a strange way, yeah, I, I feel more about, I'm more of a choreographer <laughs> at this point. <laughs> choreographer. <laughs> than just, 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 just a storyteller on the stage, you know, singing the songs and telling the story. I feel, yeah, I want to see people to experience those things themselves. I love that as a metaphor. And, and I understand what you mean about setting laws. Like you're, you're creating a world with a set of rules, a set of physics, you know, a, a set of, of parameters that create a certain kind of behavior. And I do think that those are the skills of the 21st century storyteller. The people who are able to build worlds and set up a set of uh, operating principles or laws um, to enable players or the, the, the audience, what we used to call the audience, um, to be able to create their own stories or, or live and have agency and make their own stories within this world. It's the same challenge that people who do immersive theater or people who are creating um, escape the rooms or you know all sorts of other types of, of immersive experiences are realizing that their role is not to set one narrative and fix it on a rail and push it to the audience, but rather to 
create a set of um, environments or, or, and I think physics is actually a good word for this, like a set of principles that operate that world so that, so that the guest or the player or the audience member, whatever term we use, can have their own experience, but with that kind of invisible nudge, that gentle nudge you were talking about. So I think you have so much to teach us because you've been so successfully learning how to give that invisible nudge. And, and what I also just have found so fascinating is how much of it is really not about the coding it's about the human nature. It's about human coding, not computer coding. <laughs> and, and you're yeah. so insightful of, of all the lessons you've learned about how we operate as human beings <laughs> left to our own devices in a world. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely makes you think about a lot of the things that's currently happening on the internet, you know, the YouTube comment channel, like <laughs> why people are toxic. It's kind of like obvious. And it makes you think about like how to how these game mechanics can potentially be an inspiration for how laws and you know elections can be run. You know, beautiful note for us to end on. I really, honestly, don't want to end because I'm enjoying our conversation so much. And uh, and again, I feel like there's there are so many lessons uh, that are so positive for us to for people to learn from playing Journey and from playing Sky people hold up your games as great examples of artistry in the, in the field. You know, it's a movement towards games for change, games for better, games that are going to encourage, you know, abundance and trust and, and generosity and, and positive social interactions and you know, sort of the opposite of what we started, as we said, many people currently think of as the outcome of games. Like, wouldn't it be a wonderful irony to discover that, gaming became the tools for which people were positively socialized and you know became mature citizens of society and and I think you you helped present a, a path to that and a, and a vision for that so thank you sir yeah thank you for having me here and yeah I really appreciate the opportunity I want to extend a heartfelt thank you to Genova for joining me on the show today if you'd like to experience his games for yourself, Journey's available on PC and PlayStation, and Sky can be downloaded for free on iOS, Android, and Nintendo Switch, with a PlayStation version coming soon. See the links in the episode's description for more information. And a warm thanks to you as well for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. We always appreciate it. And to be sure not to miss any news about the podcast and to be part of the Future of Storytelling community, sign up for our free monthly newsletter at fost.org. The Future of Storytelling podcast is produced by Melcher Media in collaboration with our talented production partner, charts and leisure. I hope we'll see you again soon for another deep dive into the world of storytelling. Until then, please be safe, stay strong, and story on.